0: you don't have it on your phone, but you want to fake it like you do, go ahead and hold that up too. And just let's declare, let's remind ourselves, this is not an ordinary book, it's not a comic book or a history book, it's not just fiction or a great novel, but this really is the word of the living God. So we like to say this out loud from the screens, this is my Bible, it is God speaking to me, I am who it says I am, I can do what it says I can do, I can have what it says I can have, So I open my heart today to hear God speak a word that will change my life forever. Good morning, Pastor Geneve. Good morning, Pastor Geneve. Good to see you over here. Hey, would you guys open in your Bible with me to two places, Matthew chapter 16 and Isaiah 53, and we'll get to chapter 53 in just a little bit. Uh, The occasion that we find ourselves in here, I want to give you a little bit of a background, but actually on the screen, can you put... Matthew chapter 16, and I want to back up just a little bit for us to read it out loud together. Uh, but verse 18 and 19 on the screen, uh, so that we can read this. Could, could we do this? Let's just fill this place with the Word of God. Verses 18 and 19 out loud. And I also say to you that you are Peter. Are we all loud? Okay, When I, I'm sorry. Like I was like, out loud. And so let's both read it out loud, and loudly. That one. New King James Version. Let's read the ESV version on there so that we're all reading the same words together. Let's read off the screens. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The, the occasion for this comment that Jesus is making, I mean, he's making a pretty bold statement right here. Uh, he said, I am going to build my church on this rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then I'm going to give you the keys to that kingdom. I'm going to I'm going to build this thing that is unstoppable from all the powers of hell. And then I am going to give you the authority you're going you're gonna to basically control the gates of, of access to the kingdom of heaven, as well as the, the gates of hell to be able to plunder the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, and all those who would be bound by them. Jesus is sitting here and he's telling his, his disciples, I'm going to do a great thing. Now, where they were is really important. It's a place called Caesarea Philippi, and it's about... A 14 hour walk from where Jesus and his disciples normally did their ministry, which was down south a little bit around the Sea of Galilee. And one day Jesus says, Guys, we're going to go for a walk because I want to talk to you about something important. There's no other occasion in the Bible where Jesus is up at this area. It's way out of the way. But when he tells them where they're going, you know, they're like, how much longer? You know, whatever, five more minutes. How are we there yet? They're saying all that stuff. And he's like, we're going to Caesarea Philippi. And these guys are probably thinking, oh, why are we going up there? because this place is known for something. Even throughout the Old Testament, it was a place of idol worship and worshiping uh, the god named Molech, this, uh, who had been a human king. He died, and people considered him to be, have become a god. And the way they, that they would worship Molech would be to sacrifice their children to him by burning them in the fire. And this was also a place where you'll hear about this term called the Ashtoreth in the Old Testament. This is the very location there in this region where the Ashtoreths were, were worshipped. And it was that sexual fertility cult in God and so forth. And that, that's happening up there. And then, and then after that of the Old Testament times, but prior to the time that Jesus took the disciples there, the region was actually called, before the name was changed, the region was actually called Peneus. Panias, and it was dedicated to this idol god within their mythology named Pan. Pan, they believed, had the ability to go and walk the earth as well as cross over into the underworld or the spiritual world, the world of darkness, though. And it was at this very place where Jesus took his disciples to that uh, was the location called actually called the gates of hades or the gates of hell and it was the place where they believed that that god would that false god or that idol would go between earth and into hell and he takes his disciples all the way up to that place and by the time jesus's time that he was there there would have been a facade built into the mountain with all these little idols and so forth anyways and by the way, this place is still there. We've been there. If you've been to, to Israel, you might have taken a tour and walked to this exact spot where the cave is still today, and, um, and you could see it. But Jesus takes his disciples to that place. Now, we might go and check it out because we're like, I ain't scared of no ghosts, right? We'll go there, and we'll go see that. But imagine the disciples. They know the, the reputation of the place. They know what goes on there. They know the, 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 historic, the history behind the location they're going to. And it's sort of like going up to something you believe to truly be a haunted house on Halloween, which somehow fell on Friday the 13th, and sitting on the porch, you've got Jason, you got Freddy, you got Pumpkinhead. Like the disciples are like, I don't need to go up to that place. But Jesus goes right up and rings the doorbell. Ding dong, right? He's right there with the disciples. And and he begins to ask them, who do you say I am? And they say, you know, maybe this disciple, this prophet, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, maybe Elijah. But then he says, But 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 who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up and says, You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one who's been anointed to be the king. You're the son of the living God, not like that dead God, but you're the son of the living God. And when Peter makes this declaration about who Jesus is, he's drawing this line. It's a stark and stark contrast to everything that they could see there behind them and everything they knew about that region, these dead gods and this power of hell. And, And he's saying that, no, you're different. You're the one who has been promised throughout the Old Testament about the, the one who would come and save us, the one who would come and deliver us, the one who would come and set us free from the, the, the governing powers that oppress us and keep us in slavery. He's declaring all these things. You are the king. And Jesus responds to him and he says... Peter, you're right, and you didn't come up with this on your own. Flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you, but it was my Father in heaven who spoke to you, and somehow you didn't even know it. But but He spoke, and you blurted it out of your mouth. He said, "And you're Peter," and and that's a Greek word that, that God changes His name, and it's a Greek word called Petros, and it's a small rock. But then He says, "And on this rock, this big giant rock, I will build my church." And someone would say, well, what's that big, giant rock? Is it the revelation of God speaking to us? Yes. Is it a revelation of, that Jesus is the Christ? Yes. Is it, is, it the, uh, is it the firm foundation of God's word and who Jesus is? Yes. But he goes on to say, I'm going to build my church. And there's actually a literal rock right there, right outside the gates, the cave entrance, where people would come. And they would do the sacrifice of animals or maybe even people. And they would take those and they would sacrifice them and they would throw them into the cave, into the gates of hell. They would do that as part of their worship. And you can imagine it as if this is that rock in the the gates of Hades. The cave entrance is behind us and Jesus is talking and he says, right here, I'm going to build my church right here at the doorstop of hell. Like, and I don't think Jesus is saying, no, physically, I want to build a church right here in this location. Like, this is a nice spot. I think he's really saying that all the powers of darkness, all the powers of wickedness, all the the attack that the enemy has to offer, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build up my people right in the face of that. And we will not back down and we will not be subject to bondage anymore. And we're not going to be scared, we're not going to give up, and we're not going to be in torment from the enemy. This is the kind of church that Jesus is saying that he's going to build. He's sitting here saying, right in the face of the enemy, I will build my church, and the powers, or the gates of hell will not prevail against it or will not be able to withstand it. You know, prevailing means that it's attacking us and it won't be able to. But really, Jesus is also saying, but they won't be able, those gates, you know, how many of you ever got beat up by a gate? You know, like some people have, like, oh, I got hit by the gate. But, but really, gates aren't going to destroy us. Gates right there, they're trying to hold something back. It's that barrier of protection and the gates open up to let things out and to uh, let things in or you close them to keep it secure. And Jesus is saying those gates right there where the enemy would try to open up and unleash the force of hell on people and on my people, they won't prevail against my people. And not only that, but when we go on the offense, they won't be able to withstand against my people, my church. Jesus is speaking to his disciples this. And you can imagine the confidence that's rising on the inside of them, the excitement as they're sitting there saying, "Yes, everything's about to change." The person that the Bible's been telling us about, we've believed for and looked for for generations. He's standing right here, right now. This is all about to happen and you could imagine they're about to burst at the seams and then jesus i mean he's looking at them, and they're like elbowing one another and they're like and then we get the keys you know we get to be in charge and we get to be a part of this and then he says but don't tell anybody verse 20 he says don't tell anyone that i'm the christ wait a minute er, you know you kind of hear it in the background the little like er, the brakes go on don't tell anybody we're about to go tell everybody And we're going to tell people that we're about to kick those Romans' butts because the Roman people had occupied Jerusalem and Israel and and all of the, the children of Israel were slaves to them. And they're like, now is the time to overthrow the Roman government and we're going to have the Messiah on the throne and we're going to legislate this word from Jerusalem and we're going to do what we want to do. We're going to be free. This is their idea of the Messiah who comes to overthrow governments. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You know that I'm the Messiah or the Christ, but don't go tell anybody because you're about to, you'll mess things up. I think that's why he said don't tell anybody. He said, because you're going to get the story wrong. You're going to go and tell everybody about how I'm just going to come and and turn things over and, and, and set everything straight outwardly, but that's not the way I do it. And then we get to the scripture that I actually want to get to today, but next week I want to get to really something else. But in verse 21 of Matthew 16, where it says, From that time forward, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He must go to Jerusalem, and he's got to suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Hold on, Jesus. Have you ever felt like you were all built up only to be let down? Because that's what just happened with Jesus. He built these guys up. He's like, man, we're about to do some stuff right here. And they're like, yeah. And and, and you get to be part of it. Yes, it's going to be amazing. Oh my, and nothing's going to be able to stop us. No, but first I got to die. Wait, what? You see, this is why he didn't want them telling about who he was yet because they didn't understand. They really thought that he was going to come marching in with a crowd of people, tell Caesar, your time is done, hit the door, he's going to go and just take over. They really thought that. So Jesus just throws a wrench into the system when he says, we got to go to Jerusalem, all right, but I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And I'm going to be raised on the third day. And they didn't even have any clue what he's talking about there. They did not get that. You see, sometimes our expectations of how God works are really off track. Sometimes we think that, man, God's calling us to the crown, and He is, but we don't realize that first we have to wear the cross. And it's not really about what we wear, it's really about what Jesus had to wear. Right here, at first, He's saying saying that I've got to go to the cross. In order to accomplish what I just told you, I can't just hand you the keys right now, and we can't just get started with that. We have to actually uh, take care of some business first, and I have to do the things necessary to overcome all those powers of the enemy that I'm talking to you about. It, it's as if jesus is sitting here and he and he gives this picture that we might understand if you're in battle with with an enemy you know an army and you're fighting and you kind of got your little hole right here and you're shooting and so forth and then one of them lobs a grenade it's the authority or power of your enemy he lobs the grenade it falls into your little your little uh, whatever you call that place where you're there and grenades are thrown at you those kind of places foxhole thank you Foxes have holes, uh, foxholes, and, and, and Jesus sees that, and what is that? That is the attack of the enemy, and what does he do? He falls on that grenade to absorb it himself, to take the grenade, the attack himself. He said that that's something that the enemy is lobbing at us, the attacks and the power of hell, but you're not going to overcome it yourself. I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to take it myself at the very root the very core at the cross. Jesus dove onto the grenade for us. And they didn't understand that that before we get to this place of triumph that we have to suffer what might look like a defeat but in the reality it wasn't a defeat at all. When Jesus went to the cross he was not losing he was winning and he begins to lay this out to them and they don't really get it and so peter listens to him and he says whoa, 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 whoa. jesus come here come here come here and he grabs jesus and the bible says this it says that he began to rebuke him and he said far be it from you this will never happen to you you have power you have authority you're healing people you're casting out demons you're multiplying food you're commanding the seas, you know, to to be calm. Like, that kind of stuff is not going to happen to you. Some old guys over there in Jerusalem, they can't stop you. They can't stop us. They can't stop me. I'm going to be there with the keys. They can't stop anything. He begins to rebuke Jesus. That means this. When the word began to rebuke, I understand that to mean that Peter had more to say. But Jesus stops him, and he turns around, and he says, Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You're a stumbling block or a stumbling stone to me in my path. That you're not mindful of the things of God, but you're thinking of the things of men, the way that man does things. See, it's it's reminiscent of what Jesus had already experienced. Soon after he was baptized and he was led into the desert to be tempted by the devil, and the devil took him up to this high place and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, you can have all of these. They'll all be yours if you simply, listen, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to tell nobody nothing about what kind of backroom deal we just made. If you'll just compromise a little bit, you can still comfortably take these. Just simply bow your knee to me. And at that, Jesus said, Away with you, Satan. It's written, you're only going to serve the Lord, the Lord your God, and him, him shall you serve. And so Jesus sees Peter speaking in the same manner of saying, you can avoid the cross in order to get to the crown. Sometimes in life, we think that's true, that we can take an easy way to get to something great. The longest distance between two points is often a shortcut. Did you know that? you try to cut the short and then, man, you get off track. Compromise. And so Jesus is telling Peter this, get behind me. It reminds me of that story with this young Christian couple, love the Lord, trying to serve God, and they're trying to get out of debt, like they're honoring God with their finances. And she comes home one day and she has this bag from this really, you know, Nordstrom's and she's like, Babe, I, I got to show you this dress. And, and uh, she pulls it out and it's beautiful and, and she said, Man, it just fits me perfect, and it was made for me, and it's, the fabric feels so nice, and I look so good in it. And he says, baby, how much did that cost? She said, $500. He says, $500? You know we're trying to get out of debt. We've got some financial goals. When you, why'd you do that? And she said, babe, I was overcome with temptation. I put it on, and I was standing there in the dressing room, and he said, Temptation? You're supposed to say, get behind me, devil, when you're tempted. She said, I did. And then he said, it looks good from back here too. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what happened right in this situation. He said, get behind me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You think the way that natural man thinks, but the way I'm going to do things is quite a bit different. I'm going to go a different route. Jesus is telling him this because six months later, he's about to pay a tremendous price. He's about to go to Jerusalem and be carried away and be beaten and crucified. Three days later, he would raise from the dead. But in order for the church that Jesus was building to last, he had to, uh, he had to die in order for it to withstand the attack of the enemy, he had to die. See, when we think about the power of hell, in their minds, the gates of Hades was the political bondage that they were in, the slavery that they were in as subjects to the Roman government. But that's not really the power of hell that Jesus was most concerned about. He's concerned about the attack of the enemy on the souls of men, the souls of people. You think about the power of hell that Jesus is is dealing with. You got to look back to Isaiah chapter 53, which is a picture of the Messiah that they often missed. That when the Messiah was to come, the Christ, the King, before he makes it to the throne, he goes through this point of suffering. And so the attack of the enemy that Jesus is saying, we're going to hold this back, it's all the power of sin and the consequences of it. All the shame associated, all the sorrow, all the grief, all the sickness, all the disease, all the brokenness, the abandonment, the fear, the rejection. Those are things that the enemy tries to attack us with. It's not just bringing in some other government that we didn't vote for to rule us. That's that's small. I've seen people who are in prison, in jail, and they're free on the inside. I've seen people who are free on the outside, but they're in bondage on the inside. This is what Jesus wants to get to, and that's what he's after with his disciples. And he's saying, my church, the power of the enemy will not be able to withstand what I'm doing through my people. And, and so Jesus talks about going to the cross to absorb that grenade so that He himself has already taken the attack, and in, in his place, in his place, we get to walk in victory. We get to walk in that authority and in that triumph, and we get to, we get to live. Isaiah chapter 53, if you would look at that with me, we'll put it up on the screen. I think you have the same version from my, my notes, Lexham English Bible. Let me read this to you about this Messiah that Jesus was and is and what he was about to experience. In 53 verse 3 it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering and acquainted with sickness. Some versions would say acquainted with sorrows. Other versions would say he's acquainted with our grief. And I know even among our congregation, there are some who are grieving deeply through the loss of, of a sister who, who, whose life was taken from suicide. And I recognize there's grief that we walk through. And Jesus was acquainted with that. He dove on that grenade of that sorrow, that deep sorrow and that grief. He's acquainted with it. He knows what we go through. He took that to the cross He says this, he was like one whom others hide their faces, from whom others hide their faces. He was despised and we did not hold him in high regard. However, he was the one who lifted up our sicknesses and he carried our pain. He himself did this. By the way, in Matthew chapter 8, 17, that verse is referred to right there when Jesus was going around and healing people physically and casting out demons and setting people free. And it says this is in ful- fulfillment of what was said in Isaiah chapter 53 there, that that's what, J- what it means. When Jesus is healing people, he's bearing their sickness, their grief, their sorrow, their disease. He's lifting that up, but he's taking it upon himself. And he does that at the cross. Maybe you've got some things that have been hanging around physically. Today, as Pastor Geneve leads us into communion, we'll be able to receive and pray for healing from the Lord because he paid for it on the cross already. It says, yet we assumed him, ourselves assumed him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities, and the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him transgressions are outward violations of the law of god iniquities are inward violations in the heart and so what it's saying is jesus dealt with it all both the action and the intention he dealt with it all on the cross it was all laid on him says the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his wounds we were healed it's a done deal on the cross all of us have wandered like sheep. We have each turned to his own way and Yahweh let fall on him the iniquity of, all, of us all. Our sin was placed upon him. They didn't get this when Jesus is explaining going to the cross, but later on they would. I'll show you in just a moment. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was brought like a lamb to the slaughter and like a sheep is dumb before it shears, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus is sitting here and he's saying, you guys, Peter, you, ha- you don't have any idea what you're saying. If I was to go and take the easy way out, I wouldn't be able to get to the very root. And that's the mission that I came for. It's not just to make it so you can live better here on earth for the next few years, but I'm going to deal with something at the very core that will affect your eternity. And I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to give you the keys that would allow you to stop up the work of the enemy. I'm going to give you those keys. But before I even grab a hold of those keys myself, all of those keys, I have to suffer. I have to suffer. But I'm going to do it in place of you. Later on, Peter would write in, first, in the book of First Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he said this about, about Jesus. He said, he, he himself bore our sins on, the, and on his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. He recognized it later on what Jesus was trying to tell them at that point. That Jesus, when he went to the cross, he paid for our sins and he also paid for our sickness. He paid for everything, a total redemption. You know, Jesus at the cross, he dealt with the things for your spirit to be forgiven he also dealt with the things for your soul inside, the hurts, the brokenheartedness, the damage, whatever it is. Jesus dealt with those things too. He took that on himself. And he also dealt with on the cross, the issues that your physical body. He addresses all of those and he brings healing to you. Jesus is laying this out to his disciples right there. And, and he's trying to tell them, this is my way. This is my way to accomplish the things on the inside of you that need to happen. When you think about this, all the things God wants to do, all the things that he wants to accomplish in your life, you gotta understand his way is first through the cross. Here's the good part though, is that we don't have to go to his cross. I wanna talk to you next week about your cross. But first of all, we need to come to his cross. And we need to recognize that all of these things, those powers of hell that he's given us authority to stop and also to get free from, all of those things, he dealt with at the cross. And those are the things that really mess people's lives up. It's the stuff that keeps people in bondage. They're angry, they hold unforgiveness against people, bitter, critical, fearful, anxious, worried, sick, depressed, discouraged wanting to give up, lose hope, hating themselves, hating other people, all of those, what is that? That's the work of the enemy. That is the work of the enemy. And there's so much more. I mean, each of us could name five or ten different things that that someone else wouldn't even name. All of those are works of the enemy that we see. It's the attack. But Jesus is saying, for you, my people won't be able to stand against you. And so that's important to understand As this morning as we, we present ourselves before the Lord, and we're about to receive communion together, that that we would recognize that no, Jesus, Jesus has already paid the price for these things. And that triumphant church that the gates of hell cannot stand against, that's for today. Two scriptures. First of all, in First Corinthians chapter eleven, starting in verse 26, there, 23, verse 20 through 26, Paul is talking to the, the Corinthian church, and he said, The Lord showed me something. He said this in verse 23, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night which he was betrayed took bread. And then when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, they want to go out and tell everybody he's the Christ and the Messiah and he's here to rule and reign. But really, they need to first of all tell people, but he died for your sins and he defeated the enemy on your behalf. And every time that we come together and we receive communion together, and I know this might just be a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice here. But when we do this together, we're remembering what Jesus had done, that his body was really broken for us. And when it was broken, it released all the power of God and that his blood was shed for us. And that created what he said, the new covenant, this new promise with God, saying that, that never will God leave you or forsake you. Never will he give up or turn his back on you. Never will you have to pay the price for your own sins because he paid the complete price for them. You are remembering what Jesus did, what was prophesied about him in Isaiah chapter 53, and so much more. His body was broken, his blood was shed for us. This morning, I want to pray, and then, Pastor Genevieve, I want you to lead us into this. But maybe you've got some things that you're carrying. Maybe there's some sin you need to. Release and and be forgiven by the Lord. Come on up. Maybe there's sorrow, grief, shame, sickness, poverty, abandonment, fear, rejection, death, and even the power of of hell over you. The last scripture I want to read is Revelation 118. In fact, let's read this from the screen out loud. Let's read it. I am he who lives and who was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Jesus is saying, I was alive, but then I was dead. But then I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And look at what I got right here those keys that I promised you, all the victory that belongs to you, all the freedom, all the deliverance, all the healing, all the, the forgiveness. It's right here. It belongs to you. This is what God has for us.